Welcome to Late Night Riders. On this episode, we talk to Janine Vandersloosh. Janine is an equestrian vaulter who has competed at the Olympic level. You probably know her from the World Equestrian Games. She talks a lot about um, what it's like to compete at that higher level, but also how you can get started in vaulting. So enjoy! Welcome to Late Night Riders. I'm Gretchen and I'm joined by Lucas, my mom Kristen, and Janine. Hi! Janine, can you explain um, a little bit about what vaulting is for our listeners? So equestrian vaulting is most well known for combining gymnastics and dance uh, performed to music on a moving horse. So you can see it um, at different gates of the horse, at the walk, trot, and canter. The higher level is mostly all just canter, and you can have uh, individual routines, pairs routines, or team routines. So in individually you're competing or performing by yourself. In pairs you'll be working with a partner, and then in a team you can have up to six people on the team and uh, up to three people on the horse at the same time. So there's quite a quite an elaborate creativity that goes into that one. Um, and then it basically just, yeah, comes back from the Roman era when um, soldiers used to practice vaulting style movements in uh, full battle armor to work on their balance, their strength, agility, and they use that in the battle to be really agile and be able to uh, survive. And then once they remove the horse from the battlefield, they refine those exercises and they're now well known as the compulsory moves in equestrian melting. That's really cool. So, um, how did you get started in all of this? I started vaulting when I was about six years old, and my older sister at the time really got into horses, and we never had any horses at home. And this was kind of brand new for the whole family, and she wanted to get into horses, so my uh, my parents took my sister, uh, my older sister, and my younger sister, and myself to a local barn, and this was back in the Netherlands. And some family friends of ours showed us around my older sister, really wanted to start riding lessons. And since I had been doing gymnastics, they showed me this vaulting group that was practicing at the time. And I was just mesmerized by it and said, oh, I really want to try that. And ever since I did did a little tryout, I was hooked on it. Yeah. So do you compete individually and on a team? I've done all three events. I have competed individually for a very long time. Uh, I've done pairs with my sister. And I've been part of a team for many years as well. Um, but you can kind of choose from year to year what you're going to be focusing on. So uh, for the first few years of my international career, career, I mostly just did individual and really enjoyed that. And then my sister and I started competing pairs together because we've done that at a lower level before and we really enjoyed it. And then we had the opportunity to go international with that as well. And then team has been a little bit more recently since... I've always grown up doing team, but it was more just for fun and kind of exploring all the options. But it takes a lot of people to be really committed to it because it's quite challenging. So it took us a very long time to get enough people together to be able to compete um, at a higher level with the team. So I've been doing that for, for quite a few years now as well. Is it pretty prevalent over there then to be able to, to learn this? Because here where we are in Ohio, I. I'm not aware of any like 
groups or anything that really do this around this area. Is there lots of places that you can train to get up to that speed to um, an Olympic level or? There really isn't a whole lot. Um, there's quite a bit in the USA actually at the moment, but a lot of it is located on the West Coast. Okay. And then the East Coast is growing quite a bit and centrally as well. There's definitely a few states in the US that I know uh, have no vaulting at all or are just starting up over the past few years. In Canada, it seems to be more of a West Coast sport as well at the moment. It started off in BC and then um, when we moved to Alberta, with the whole family, we started a vaulting group, a couple other groups popped up at the same time, so then you're able to feed off of each other and grow. And then it's been going east from there, and we've seen quite a bit of growth over the years, but I definitely wouldn't say that it's a hugely popular sport just yet. It's more of a, a European sport, it seems like, still, and the rest of the world is, is trying to catch up. <laughs> So if you're a child at home and you're interested in learning, but you're on the East Coast, what are some steps you can maybe do at home to start your vaulting career? So you can definitely, first of all, check out um, the American Vaulting Association. They're, they have a really good website and good resources on there and how you can start either starting your own group or finding someone that's relatively close that you can start with. There's definitely a few groups around on the East Coast that you'd be able to, you know, go for a tryout, and if they're not too far away, you can definitely join there. Um, and there's a, a few programs in place that they will lend you equipment if you want to start up a program and uh, help out with grants, those kind of things, just to really encourage everyone to get involved with the sport, because there's so many benefits to it. But it's definitely, you know, everyone's still trying to help each other out and trying to get it to grow as much as possible. So you recently competed in the uh, FEI World Games. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, so that was the one in 2018 that I competed at. So that was the, the most recent one for sure. I started um, my international career when I was about 18 years old. So a few years ago now. And my first World Equestrian Games was in 2010. Um, I've been also to the 2014 World Equestrian Games and then the most recent one was the 2018 World Equestrian Games, which were in North Carolina, which was quite um, quite a great uh, event. I'm not really sure even where to start to describe it. it it's such a huge, um, huge competition for all the different disciplines to come together and have their championships at the same time. And it's always it always brings out the best in the vaulters from the whole world that come and compete there. So it's it's huge. It's like the Olympics for the horse sports, I would say. And for vaulting, it definitely, you know, everyone brings their A game. And it's such a great atmosphere to be able to compete there. Qualifying to go to those kind of games are hurling. <laughs> There's a lot of people that always try out. So we had a really, really busy season leading up to the, to the games last year. Uh, but it was actually quite... Uh, quite a nice experience because we're able to bring some of our own horses from Canada, which oh, quite cool. often the games are held over in Europe. You know, for the jumpers and the dressage, you really need to bring your own horse, and there's a lot more sponsorship involved in those disciplines, but for vaulting, it's not as easy to find those sponsorships, so you end up paying a lot of the bills yourself, so oh, wow. to ship a horse over to Europe is quite expensive to be able to do that. But with it being in North America last year, a lot of us Canadians had the opportunity to bring our own horse and be able to compete on our own horse, which really is 
is what horse sport is all about, right? Being able to compete with your your partner and the horse that you've been working with for so right. many years to try to get yeah. to that point. So that part of it was really, really neat. So how many people are you competing against when you get to that that level? Internationally, when you compete at the games, again, it depends a little bit on the location. It's, you know, harder for North Americans to get to Europe to compete there when the games are there and the other way around as well. Um, so usually, I think at the games we had about 40 competitors in the women division, maybe a little bit more than that, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then you also have the male um, category and then you had your pairs and the teams. So it's usually between 15 to 20 teams that will compete at one of these games around you know, 40 to 60 individual females, usually a little bit less in the male category, and then pairs is usually also between 12 to 20 pairs, I would say. That's crazy. So did you compete um, all, like, three individual pairs and team at the World Equestrian Games? At last year's games, I competed individual and pairs. Okay. And while we did have a team from my club that we put together and we were training and hoping to qualify, our team didn't end up being selected to compete there. It was a different Canadian team. Um, so we just ended up going for my individual and then um, my pairs partner and I competed there. That's really cool. When you were in gymnastics, how far advanced were you into that before you started with the horses? I actually wasn't the greatest gymnast. <laughs> <laughs> I always really enjoyed gymnastics and, you know, parts of it I, I was quite good at, I would say, uh, naturally fairly flexible and just having that competitive drive I think really helped me in my gymnastics, but I wouldn't have ever made it as a high-level gymnast, to be honest. Really? I was more like high-end recreational to, you know, beginner levels of competing in gymnastics. So I had some basic skills like, you know, round offs and a little bit of tumbling, like maybe back handsprings, some back tucks and stuff like that. But it really wasn't, it wasn't anything that was going to get me really far competitively, I would say. Was there one uh, exercise in gymnastics that you thought was better, that better helped you prepare for this than another, like the floor or bars or beam, or does it all together combine? All together, I would say it's, yeah, gymnastics just really supplements vaulting really well. So if you think about the bars, for example, there's there's an aspect of rhythm that you have to work with on the bars where you have to swing and catch the timing of it. And there's a lot of upper body strength involved with it. So that part really relates over to vaulting. And there's a lot of bars training that you can do that will help you with vaulting because there's so much handstand based work that we do on the horses. And you really have to find the timing with the horse. So whereas on bars, you don't have the, the rhythm of the actual you know animal, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, as we do in vaulting in uh, in vaulting, you can really use that swinging and finding the rhythm and having your body tension at the right time help you uh, do the skills. And then um, beam, obviously working on balance and mm -hmm. making sure that when you do your skills, even if it's just a cartwheel, you know, being able to control your body while going through that motion and being able to balance on top of the beam and then landing it, that really relates. And then for floor and vault, I would say that um, working on the tumbling and getting really comfortable, you know, going upside down and being able to land on your feet 
really helps for vaulting as well because we do quite a few high-level dismounts. So if you have that background in gymnastics, it definitely helps. I actually get a lot of co uh, kids that I coach that have zero gymnastics background and we do teach a lot of the skills as well but you can definitely tell the difference between someone who does some training in gymnastics and someone who doesn't with how long it takes to to catch on to those new and advanced skills. Now when you're training are you always training with the horse or do you do like ground training yourself? We do a lot of ground training actually so yeah. because we want to make sure that the horse enjoys it it as much as we do. We do a lot of strength training, a lot of gymnastics-based training, dance training, um, just pure conditioning, um, dance. We, yeah, we do everything basically. So when it really comes down to it, when I train for myself or if it's coaching the kids in my club, I probably have only about 30% of the time we spend on the horse. And then the other 70% of the time, we're working on the conditioning, the fitness, and building the skills. Because I want to make sure that myself as a competitor and athlete and the kids that I coach, that we're taking really good care of the horses. So I find that in the better shape we are, you know, the more control that we have, we're going to be able to work a lot better with the horses. And the horses are going to get more out of it as well. So how does the picking the music work? Um, is there a specific genre that the horses react to better or is it just I like the song this you know month I'm gonna go with this there's definitely different ways that you can go about it you uh, find some kids especially younger kids that go oh I just love this song I could really dance to it and, and feel the music and usually we end up going with that because it has to be something they feel comfortable with because that's really going to draw out more of the experience for them connecting not only with the horse but also with the music and being able to tell a story but then as you grow in the sport a little bit more it becomes quite an elaborate process I would say you do take your horse into consideration we've had horses over the years that just say no I don't like this style of music so <laughs> you're not going to play it right and you want to make sure that the horse is enjoying it as well um, and then when you're really getting to the upper levels you try to create a storyline, you can try to create a theme and really bring it out there. It's like a, a piece of theater that you're putting on the horse while incorporating dance and gymnastics skills. So there's just so much to it and the ones that can really put all of that together, you just it's like goosebumps when you watch it. So so we put a lot of thought into the type of music that we use and how we can um, well, how we can express it and some people feel more comfortable expressing you know something really upbeat and fun and some other people are really good at drawing out the emotion and the heartbreak and getting all dramatic <laughs> so when you're at your like peak competition ready season like how many hours are you putting into um, practice probably about 20 hours a week I would say and there's definitely some out there that probably are training more than that but I I don't have more time than that available with everything else that I'm doing um, so you have to just work with what you have some people definitely train rep less as well everybody has their own kind of system worked out um, but yeah usually at the upper level you're probably looking at close to about 20 hours a week for sure and then training camps on top of that so is this something that like you're putting like it's almost like a full-time job that you're doing or are you doing other stuff on the side to um, compensate for doing this? 
Um, for myself, I definitely have a lot of things on the go. So I do my own training and then I do quite a bit of coaching on the site. Some of that is volunteering and some of that is to make a little bit of money on the site as well and pay for what I do. And then my family actually runs a dairy farm as well. So I also work part-time on the dairy farm. So it's, it's nice to have everything at home. I do my training at home, my coaching is here at home, and then working is at home as well. So it's easy to you know be flexible that, hey, we, we need a little bit extra help on the farm this day, then I can rearrange my schedule around that. And same goes if we have an extra day that we have a camp or a clinic coming up, then we can work around that as well. That's cool. Is there like a specific event that you look forward to every year? Is it the World Equestrian Games or is it a different event? So the World Equestrian Games are only every four years. Okay. So that's always a, a huge one that you look forward to. It's like I said, it's like the Olympics of course sports. So definitely something that we put a lot of thought into, a lot of preparation time. I really think that my first one was the most exciting thing I'd ever done just because it's so huge. So I still get that same feeling when I think about the World Equestrian Games, like that is that is it, you know, that's the highest level that you can compete at. So that's always super exciting. And then personally, I always really love the national championships that we have in Canada. It's not even a, a huge event compared to maybe other countries, but it just, it's nice to be able to compete in your own country, bring your own horse mm -hmm. and, you know, see everyone again that you've been competing and training with for so long and yeah just going out there it's always such a nice way to finish the season. Now do you only do vaulting or do you do other styles of riding on top of that? I definitely think that vaulting is mostly my specialty. I do a little bit of riding on the side. I when I ride myself it's mostly just for pleasure like I'll go on trail rides and that kind of stuff. Um, I do do a little bit of dressage type work as well but it's, I find it very challenging. <laughs> uh, I find standing on a horse a lot easier. Uh, so I tend to just gravitate to, yeah, let's just go vault. But I do know that the horses, you know, it's better for them if we do a little bit of everything. My sister is mostly the horse trainer here at our club. Yeah. And she, uh, when I have my own horse that I compete with, she usually rides that, my own horse as well because she's just a really good rider and horse trainer. So we kind of compensate that way. Um, and then she teaches me a little bit on the side of how she would train horses so that, you know, I do want to keep improving in that area, but I just find it much more difficult. So what would you tell someone that has never, like, gone to a vaulting event and they would like to go, like, what are some things that they should look out for? Um, I know when I did music, like, you don't clap between movements, you let them finish their whole piece and then they finish. Is there anything like that in the vaulting world that you should be aware of? Yeah, it's fairly similar actually as what you're describing when you go to a vaulting competition. Um, it's actually really quite funny because when you go to a European competition compared to a North American competition, it's really quite different in the whole atmosphere. When you go to competition here, it's really quite strict, you know, please hold your applause to the end when the vaulters have dismounted and, you know, in case that the horse is sensitive to that kind of energy. Whereas if you go to a European competition, it's just the whole arena is packed and everyone is super excited and the crowd goes crazy when you run in and the crowd goes crazy as soon as you are in your dismount basically so um, so you definitely feel that vibe all the way through and I think the horses are just a lot more used to it there as well so it's 
yeah, but it's similar. You don't want to, um, you don't want to be causing anything, you know, as you're a spectator. So holding your applause to the end is always a good idea. And we try to limit movement in the crowd as well because, you know, some horses are more sensitive to that as well. Um, but yeah, there's really not, not a whole lot other than that, I would say. Just go out and have a good time. What do you think makes a good vaulting horse then? Oh, there's so many different things that we look for in horses. And there's such a wide range of horses that are really good for vaulting as well. Uh, we tend to have a lot of draft crosses. And, um, you know, but you can also have a quarter horse or you can have a fancy warm blood. It really yeah. just depends on what your goals are. So basically any horse will make a great vaulting horse as long as they have a really laid back character. And that's the number one thing that we look for is how they act, how relaxed they are, and how forgiving they are because we are all over their whole body. So if you have a horse that's naturally really nervous, doesn't mean that they can't become a vaulting horse, but it might just take a very long time. Um, so yeah, character is going to be the very, very first thing. And then if you're just running a, a recreational group, you know, everyone has that, that one quarter horse or you know, that laid back horse in their backyard where it's like, hey, this horse really doesn't care if you're crawling all over it. So it doesn't matter how high, it, how tall it is, how old it is, they can all make vaulting horses. But then if we go into more of like a competitive group, kind of intermediate kind of group, you'd be looking at more like a draft cross probably. So getting like a percher and thoroughbred cross seems to be fairly common you get the size that way where there's lots of body and lots of room to be working with and then also having that laid back character of the Percheron in there and the thoroughbred side would just add a little bit more athleticism so that they can move well and have a good quality gait. Um, doesn't mean that you can't use a full draft either we have a couple of those too and <laughs> they do really well but again it's just you know one might work out and one might not and then we have our upper level vaulters. We use warm bloods for those. And um, just because they have more of the athletic build, they are a little bit more challenging to train. Some of them takes a little bit longer for them to really go through the training process and really settle into their job. And some of their warm bloods just catch on right away. So again, really varies from one to another. But yeah, so you have your different range of horses that you can use for sure. How long is a routine typically? So if you're doing an individual routine, it's one minute. Oh. So it goes by pretty quickly. Um, so that's for freestyle, actually. Sorry. So we have we have compulsory and freestyle routines for individual and for team. And then a pairs routine is only freestyle. So uh, your compulsories usually are about one minute uh, for individual. If you're doing a team, you have six minutes to do compulsories and every one of the team would show those compulsories. So it takes about six minutes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, individual freestyle is one minute. The Paris freestyle is two minutes. And then team freestyle is six, uh, four minutes, sorry. And then it's a little bit different when you're competing in a junior. So we do have senior and junior categories. Juniors are a little bit shorter for pairs uh, just because of their different age range and then uh, everything else is pretty much the same. So when you go for the day to do a competition, do you get to be in several different, like can you do a single or do you have to be on a team? Do you only get to choose one or do you get to be in several? Do you just get one minute for the whole entire day or do you get to do more? 
So usually when we go to competitions, it's a full weekend event. So uh, for if you're competing just individual, and you can choose that as well. So if you want to just focus on individual, or you want to do individual in pairs, or individual pairs in team, you can do all three, or you can just do one, or you can do two, and any combination of them. You just have to be a little bit careful with, you know, you could even be on two different teams, but it can't be on the same level, you know, that kind of stuff. So there are some rules and guidelines for that. Um, Usually we would start competing on a Friday evening and we do our compulsory round. And then on Saturday, you would do your first round of freestyle. Later on the day, you would do your second round compulsories. And then Sunday, you would do your freestyle again. So you're fairly busy all weekend long. But yeah, it's just one minute at a time if you're doing individual. But then there's quite a bit of, you know, warm-up time for the horse involved with that. There is warm-up time for yourself. So even though you're only competing for the one minute, you're definitely going to be quite busy that whole weekend. Then if you're doing multiple events, then it really starts adding up. So how is this uh, typically scored? Is it sort of like ice skating or like best out of 10? Or how does the scoring work? It's fairly similar to figure skating. Yeah, so all the movements that we do in compulsories are scored out of 10. So you have your uh, your compulsory moves, each one of them scored out of 10, and then you have an average of those points, and then your horse also gets a score, so that's taken into consideration as well. And then for freestyle, we have different components that the judges look at, and it's split up a little bit different depending on um, if you have uh, one judge at a local competition or if you're competing internationally where you have four judges. So that depends a little bit on how it's judged as well, because it's harder for one judge to do all the different components at once. So you're always going to have your horse score in compulsories and in freestyle. And then you're going to get scored on how well you perform each movement. So again, that kind of similar to, similar to compulsories, it comes out of 10, but then it's an average of all your deductions basically on each of your movements and then if you have a lack of flow in your routine you would get deductions for that so you want everything to keep moving like think of a, a dance routine basically and then you uh, you know that goes into your artistic score then and that's where they judge you on your uh, music interpretation you have variety of exercises variety of positions unity of composition so there's lots of different components in your artistic have you ever seen anyone just go out there and give it their all and, and kill it, and then the judge say, well, I didn't like that song, so <laughs> I'm going to dock a point? Well, actually, <laughs> it could happen, actually, because oh you never know uh, who your judge is going to be, right? So so some judges might really enjoy the oldies, <laughs> and some of the judges that are younger would like something a little bit more you know, popular that's happening right now, and some... Some might know what kind of movie has come out recently and you chose the soundtrack from that movie. And if the judge hasn't seen that movie, they'll go like, well, I don't know what theme is. Like, how do I relate to this? So so you can definitely have a whole different range of experiences from one competition to the next, depending on what your judge has seen before and what they have as their personal preference. But usually if you do a really good job performing it and really convincingly, then they really can't. Uh, they can't deduct you too much for that, I would say. Now, do you have someone that choreographs everything that you do, or do you, and like you as an individual, you as pairs, and you as a team, figure out like what exactly you want to do and when? 
So for my individually, I usually choreograph myself. And my sister and I work together closely, so we do a lot of, you know, we spend a lot of time on the barrel together and going through the routine and figuring out, you know, how should we put it together and how does it work with the music. And then sometimes we'll get clinicians in that we know are really good with working with the artistic side of things and then just kind of running things by them and saying, hey, what do you think of this? And, you know, playing off each other a little bit. So that definitely helps a lot. Most clubs will have one or two coaches that end up doing the choreographing for most of the routines to the music. And then sometimes clubs will also bring out a dance teacher or someone, you know, that they have worked with in the past that can help them really connect their routine um, from just being a vaulting routine to incorporating the music and really bringing out that expression part of it as well. Um, is there like a special move or yeah. a um, some kind of challenge that you accomplished that like took you a while to accomplish and what was that and how do you um, how did you feel when you finally accomplished it? I think the very first thing that I really started working towards was making it to that World Equestrian Games back in 2010. It was more of a, an event goal, not something specific skill-wise for me. Uh, it was just, it was a really long road trying to get there. From the start of when I, you know, got into vaulting, I always, you know, thought, oh, it'd be so neat to compete at the high level, and you mm -hmm. see other people do that, and it just seemed so far away, so to then finally be able to put that together and make it there, uh, that was just, that was a really good feeling, just knowing that if I just kept my head down and kept working away and kept showing up, you know, learning from as many people as possible, that really was the best feeling. And then being able to, you know, from there continue on with that and continue improving has been has been really rewarding for me. Skill-wise, um, there's still something that I'm working on right now, actually, that <laughs> has been a very long-term goal for me, but seems to be very challenging mentally. So it's, it's a new dismount for me, and dismounts have always been quite tricky for me, just learning something new and really going for it. So, my aerial dismount has been something I've been working on for a few years, and as I was getting it last year, then I wasn't able to compete on the horse that I'd been training it on, so then I lost my confidence and wasn't able to do it on the new horse that I was going to compete on, so that's kind of been something, you know, in the back of my head that I would like to get back at it, but for me, building that connection with the horse has been really important so that when I go out there and perform this skill, which is really tricky for myself mentally, I want to know that the horse is going to be there as well. Uh, so that's, you know, you get comfortable on, on the one or two horses that you train it on a lot, and then being able to switch over to a different horse seems to be, seems to be challenging for me. Yeah. So what's next for you? What are you um, planning on doing in the next couple of years? What are some goals for you that you want to accomplish? Oh, that's a really good question, actually, at this very moment. Uh, last year was such a crazy year with leading up to the World Equestrian Games. It was just really stressful. We had a lot of competitions that we were trying to go to. And like I said, I had my one horse that I was hoping to compete on, and then he ended up not being able to compete with me all season. So it was just really challenging for me altogether. So after that, I decided to take most of the winter off from training just so that I can reset myself a little bit and reevaluate where I'm at. So I'm just starting to pick up some training again and seeing where it will go. So I don't have any 
immediate goals at this point of, you know, I want to compete at this event or qualify for that. It's more of a, I love the sport and I want to be involved and I want to compete, but I don't know where it will lead me next. Um, but yeah, I just, I will really want to continue on for now and, and see what happens. But at the same time, I'm really starting to pick up a lot more of my coaching as well, which I really enjoy. I have some juniors that are doing really well at the moment and I have a few more that are coming up that have some big goals for the future. So I really enjoy that side as well. So I think, you know, between the two, there will be lots for me to keep me busy and keeping my focus on vaulting. Well, all right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll enter our next segment, Canter Banter. Do you love horses and live the equestrian lifestyle? Be sure to check out our brand new blog at www.yourhorsefarm.com. We publish three posts per week and feature a free printable equine checklist every month. Yourhorsefarm.com is a great equine online resource, so be sure to share with all the horse lovers in your life. And remember, laugh much and ride often. This podcast is brought to you by Ram Horse Fencing and Stalls, the one-stop shop for your horse farm. Ram is family-owned and operated and has been in business for over 30 years. We welcome you to call in and speak with an expert about your next project today at 866-653-8984. Again, that's 866-653-8984. And we're back. On this segment of Canter Banter, we're going to talk a little bit more about the World Equestrian Games in North Carolina. Um, what were some of the like cool things that you could do while you were at the World Equestrian Games? Well, the whole setup at Tryon was just really incredible, just the way that they were able to pull it all together and change it into a world-class venue uh, for the World Equestrian Games in such a short amount of time was really neat. Um, I had been there the year before, actually, and did a little bit of a site visit, and I wanted to get a feel for the area, and the difference between one, work, one year and the next was just huge. So they were able to pull up this whole brand new indoor facility which wasn't there before and they changed it from you know just this basically a uh, a roof and it had no walls or anything on that when i was there in the fall of the one year and then we were actually there for a selection trial in the spring and they were able to put a couple of the walls up and they had they were starting to bring some footing in but it was kind of half done and we had our uh, test event in that building so I kind of saw the progression from one to the next and then half a year later they had the whole thing done and it was just amazing to see that so they did that with a lot of the a lot of the buildings around there I feel like where they really took it from nothing and within a year they yeah. built up so much it was incredible to watch I believe they're still building some more. Um, we recently had a blog on yourhorsefarm.com that talked a little bit more about the different things that you can do at the resort. Um, and so if you want to find that, go to yourhorsefarm.com. All right. Well, it was very nice um, talking to you, and thank you for taking time out of your day um, to talk to us. Um, Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast and encourage you to share with all your equestrian family and friends. You can tune into the Late Night Riders podcast show every Friday night. Each episode will be uploaded exclusively on YouTube, where you can subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with all of our latest shows. Do you have a topic you'd like to discuss? We want to hear from you. You may email us at podcast at rampants.com or feel free to leave a comment below. Thank you again for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Janine.